Hi, and welcome to the Lifefulness Podcast, which is dedicated to helping you live your life as fully as possible through lifefulness. I'm your host, Sanderson Jones, and James isn't here because he is a fundamentally bad person. And this is part three of our six-part mini-series on the six pillars of lifefulness because we wanted to make sure that there was a reference to them where, because we just use this word the whole time, lifefulness, 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 what does it actually mean? You know, what does it actually look like? Uh, particularly because, like, I will, you know, in my introduction, the lifefulness adapts the techniques of the spiritual community and congregation in a way that is secular, inclusive and evidence-based. You know, that's very conceptual. In some ways, I thought, you know, it, it was easier to communicate it when Sunday Assembly launched and there was the tag, the Atheist Church. You can sort of picture that. Secular Church does the same. You know, went with lifefulness because it's actually about showing how uh, these principles, you know, you could, you know, you don't just have to go to a building, you could go and use them to go and think about your gym. Like, okay, if I want to go and uh, if you run a gym, if I want to go and make this place somewhere which is really thriving, somewhere where people have got this real sense of meaning, belonging and soul, oh look, I can go and uh, look through this lens of applying these six principles, or you could just do it uh, on your own life. And so this is about pillar number three, which is community life. Again, obviously, the clues in the name, fundamental to spiritual communities. And as we all know, being a human, we're social animals. This has been one of the hardest things about coronavirus, as I'm sure you are aware. Suddenly our worlds have really shrunk. We're not able to go and have those relationships, those activities, which give us that sense of belonging and really revive us. Uh, and so we're going to go and look at what uh, community life means in the context of lifefulness. And I really hope that you love it. Because as I've said before in these, I just love chatting to James about these things. It is so fun. And I hope you find it fun too. Welcome to episode three in the lifefulness mini series where we go through the six pillars of lifefulness and the sixth pillar is community life uh have we fully decided if they're pillars or practices yet james i think we're still trying to figure out which one feels best yeah pillars has got that sort of five pillars of islam i think it's five isn't it yeah, yeah. there's a, there is a pillars of islam vibe to it isn't there yeah, it's a pretty, pillars are good, practices, who doesn't love a practice? Uh, but this is the third one, no matter what it is, and it is community life. And obviously, spiritual traditions, the spiritual community is such, like, that's what you think about so often in this, uh, in this world. Uh, I'd say that in fact, saying that it's not just community and that you've got to think about all the other things in some ways complicates it. But to me, I think they're essential. That's that's how you get to have the community if you've got the other things. But it is such a core part of spiritual life is us coming together in a community. I totally agree. When we asked our members at the Ethical Society of St. Louis why they were a member of our congregation. The number one answer we got back was because they wanted community. They wanted other people to journey through life with. And I found that over the many years I've done this work, 
people are lonely. They're looking for other people to connect with. And so community is really at the center of everything we do. And it's often in these things about the epidemic of loneliness, where there's a healthy academic debate about whether epidemic is the right word. But uh, we often think it's that, you know, it's always illustrated by a little granny sitting on her own in a bench. Uh, and uh, in fact, the loneliest group are people who are 18 to 24. Uh, so yeah, it's something which affects uh, everyone. Uh, what's like in your, so in St. Louis, what does, in the Ethical Society, what does community look like there for the people who are part of the Ethical Society of St. Louis? One of the things that is a core concern for us is getting people to make deep connections with others, not mm. just those sort of shallow connections that many people have plenty of, like often people go to work and they spend time around other people in the workplace and they kind of have a relationship with them, but often it's not very deep. So we really try and put together programs that get people really deeply connected, whether that's a kind of philosophy group which works through big questions about the nature of existence and how we get through life, or whether it's something more social, like a regular potluck, we try and connect everyone who joins our community to some sort of small network of people so that they really get to know other people well. And I, I think there is this this setting which is assumed i think that's one of the powers of like the congregation and the spiritual community because you know when you join it that you're not joining just to go the weather was nice today how about those mets i was literally on the phone to someone today who uh, is joining the lifefulness community and in no time at all I, I said what motivates you to do this and i was you know hearing about really about the deepest parts of his life. And I think that's the core thing. I heard Andy Pecula, uh, who is a, an atheist minister in a Unitarian church in uh, London. And when he was doing a talk about what he offers or he sees that uh, his congregation offers, he said, there's going to be better music in another place in London. There's going to be a better talk in another place in London. There's going to be a better dinner that you can have. There's going to be a better party. There's all of those things. But the one thing that he really can give, which you can't give out, really get elsewhere, is that really deep level of sort of foundational understanding and of being able to open up. And that is sort of core to being human. I should tell I'm not going to say whether it's called to, like we, you know, the reason why we want to be part of community is like, like evolutionarily, we are social animals. Like that's what, like, you know, those, as our, our hair came off from our sort of chimpanzee ancestors, uh, and some of us more than others, but I'm getting that way too, James. Uh, the, uh, but like we've still got that same drive. We need to be connected with people. I think you're absolutely right. It is an evolutionary need. We evolved in order to, well, we evolved in such a way that we needed each other to 
stay alive, the human organism is unique among all animals on the earth in the amount of time we spend as babies and as infants, helpless and unable to fend for ourselves. So we are a uniquely social animal who needs those close ties mm. to others. And that's not just true in the family setting, it's true in the broader community setting and the congregation, which is, again, a uniquely human form of social group. No other animal congregates. They have other forms of social grouping, but no other animal has this values-based social grouping of large numbers of people who are not not related to each other for the purposes of exploring spiritual and existential questions. And I think the congregation has been one of the most significant forms of community life in all of human history. And that's kind of what we're trying to rebuild and secularize. Yeah. And I think that obviously the, there's a huge amount of debate about actually what role the congregation or what role did these types of sacred gatherings have in actually allowing humans to evolve because uh, as you said like in primates you really have got kinship groups like the you are with people that you are genetically related to and once you cross a certain threshold you're just in another group and you've just got to go and fight each other and and then it's actually the some of the ritual practices some of the shared sense of meaning that enables us to be like oh i'm not uh, it's not sort of weird dave and scary bill actually you know we're all sort of the the people of the hoof or whatever it was you know we can suddenly go and see that we're united because i think that's where going back to that idea of like those genuine authentic relationships like that's the thing is that you can be at work. I think so 40% of people say that they feel disconnected at work. And that's because you're with people, but are you really with them? You know, you put on the lanyard and you're like, hmm, I'm, I'm work Sanderson. And like, you're not letting anyone else pass there. And I think that's it is that like, we can just be surrounded by people, but feel very lonely and, and feeling lonely has actually got huge health implications. So, like it's linked to sort of inflammation as we start to just like get stressed out. We've got that cortisol coming out. This leads to inflammation of the guts and all sorts of things. So, I mean, this is the last thing you need to hear if you're feeling particularly lonely. Uh, just like, oh God. But it's bad think- for you. You're <laughs> right. And people, people it, it doesn't make people feel better, but you should know that being lonely is bad for you. And that there's a huge amount of evidence that demonstrates that if you join specifically a congregational community, you get all sorts of health benefits. This is where you're, that you've, you've nailed this research. Oh, you were just about to go into it and I try to feed you a line and you're like, mate, I was literally doing it. All right. I am so into all this research. It's amazing, really, because social science research is hard to do. And it's really hard because it's difficult to set up an experiment. You can't really assign people, say, join this religion for a few years and then come back and we'll see whether it made your life better. That's not the sort of experiment you can ethically do. Although Chop it would off be fun the tip to of try. Your, top of the yes. tip of your child's penis uh, and not everyone's going to do it. And yeah, that'll be fine. That'll we'll be. do some sort of A-B testing there. No, that's not. It's very difficult to explore this experimentally but the biggest studies that i've seen that have examined this are ones which follow people through their life 
and they follow them over a period of time where they might join a congregational community or leave a congregational community and they track not just the differences between people who are members of congregations and people who are not, but the difference it makes to people who were once a member to leave mm. a congregational community and the difference it makes to people who were not part of one to join a congregational community. And the evidence is so clear that it's really good for you to be part of a healthy spiritual community. It's good for your physical health. It's good for your mental health. It makes you live longer, apparently. Now, there's a lot of other confounds, like there's a lot of other Oh, by the way, I love factors. that. Confounds. Just I drop know. that I, in there. The moment I said that, I knew you were going to jump on that. So <laughs> that's a very... a lot of confounds like that. There are other I love it. I love it. Why these effects could occur. But once you try and control for those and you tease out all the other things, it does seem that being a member of a congregation is causally related to positive health outcomes and it's an incredibly robust finding in the literature i mean by the way that is like uh, almost as hard an endorsement as you can get from it from someone who's uh, very much re re uh, respects the claims that you can make from the evidence uh that's the equivalent of going to the barricades setting fire to your your hat twirling it around your head starting a new revolution. Yeah, that this has been, uh, in fact, my own uh, experience of this was that at Sunday Assembly, they, uh, there were two scientists, one from Oxford University and then one from Brunel University, and they did a six month longitudinal study of Sunday Assembly. And they showed that it reduced loneliness, uh, increased well-being, and they were really excited about it because they thought it was going to, you know, God, there's this sort of secular congregation and it shows that it, this can, you know, also increase uh, people's well-being. Then what are the possibilities? And then they try to get it published and all of the publishers were like, yeah, this has been shown time and time again to be uh, the case. So why, why would we go and publish it? And so, yeah, so that's the, I suppose, taking a sort of the lens of, you know, the, the health benefits. I think there's also something in, there's, uh, as I was spent was it last year, the year before last, I was doing some read, reading on Carl Rogers and person-centered therapy. And person-centered therapy is uh, really a common form of therapy. It's probably the one you sort of, is very similar to uh, the sort of image that you have of it in the movies of someone being very supportive of someone repeating back things. And it's all about how, in his view, the thing which is most healing to a human is to be in a safe, caring relationship. And he uses this great phrase of having, uh, uh, I have a great phrase that's slightly gone out of my mind, uh, sort of un, uh, unconditional positive regard. And that is, you're just like, that is your assumption that you're going to step up and you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to try to bring as much of this sort of positive outlook to a relationship and be able to accept them. And in his view and in the view of person-centered therapy, that is the healing to be in that sort of relationship. And so uh, obviously anyone who's been in a congregation will also know that that's uh that's super hard because people are still annoying 
Uh, and but in Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Church, this is a very uh, well-known pastor in the U.S. He's got a really interesting point of view, and he says, uh, he like goes, Jesus tells you to go to church because if you really want to, you can only learn how to love if you're with people who are annoying. <laughs> as in, as he's like saying, you've got to be with people who are different to you. And that's like your course in learning how to love. And I really like that view of what community is about, is that like you're going to be tested and it's actually a real opportunity for growth because you're, you know, in these sorts of communities, you're going to have yourself reflected back at you as well. Just thought we'd have a little break there because I have a feeling I haven't yet told you about the awesome competition that we're running in time for the launch of the podcast. And it is like right now, what really helps us is if you share the podcast, if you go and subscribe to it and do loads of stuff like that. And so we wanted to encourage that. And so we're doing a competition. So if you were to go to www.lifefulness.io forward slash podcast, you can go and enter and there are some amazing prizes. There is a personal development workshop led by James and I. There is a workshop that you could have in your company around culture change. And there are some talks which you could, I mean, we assumed people would want these talks in a company, in a community, in a not-for-profit. But, you know, maybe you can just make us go and talk in your family Zoom. And so you go to lifefulness.io forward slash podcast and there is an entry box and you go and put in your email you follow the instructions and that would really help us so thanks so much for listening and back to the pod yeah i i firstly i love you bringing up carl rogers because he was one of the people who kind of set me on this path the human-centered therapy and the humanist psychologists like maslow and rogers and things like that people who really i think had a lot of insight into what makes human beings flourish and yeah that feeling that being in community with other people doesn't necessarily mean always getting along with everybody on that kind of everyday level where you don't feel like, oh, that person's really annoying me right now. But it means learning how to deeply appreciate the dignity of people who you may not get along with very well, who you may not even like very much. One loving of the distinctions... People, so I was going to say, loving people that you don't like is one of the ways that I sort of thought, one of the things which sort of Sunday assembly taught me. I love that. And the founder of the first ethical society was, he often wrote in a very pompous academic philosophical way, but he has a wonderful passage where he distinguishes between what he calls people's value and their worth. And he talks about value as being people's kind of their use to you, what they can give you in your life, mm. even if that's just making you happy or, you know, and he says, but people's worth is deeper and it's something everyone has intrinsically. And he has a wonderfully revealing section where he goes, sometimes it's very difficult for me to appreciate a person's value, but I still try and hold on to their worth. And I'm like, yes, you've been there, Felix Adler. You understood. There are really annoying people out there who you still have to find a way to love. And being in community helps you with that. And the, the one thing that we did want to speak about was this idea of covenant. And it's a word which, I don't know, I suppose we use it now in the UK around, I think, a houses, that would be the thing. But it is this idea that there is 
a sort of a sacred bond, a sort of sacred agreement that you enter into when you get into a community, which is, you know, you're really committing to this community. Like what's your, what would be your understanding of covenant? That's a difficult one. I think particularly for people who are not members of a traditional religion and maybe partly because they feel like they can get a bit culty mm. and that sense of having to make a big commitment to it is something that pulls people away from wanting to join. But something that I found and that I'm always trying to convince my own community is if you make it too easy to join your community, no one really wants to be a part of it. If the bar is so low, right, that anyone can just enter and it doesn't require any of them, people might pop in for a bit, but they'll just as easily pop out. And that having some sort of element of commitment where you have to say, no, this really is my community it means that those people get more out of it. It's better for them because they feel more compelled to make those deep connections. And, and it is also something where, as community builders, you know, we have to be wary of, no, because there's all manner of like community is, uh, is value neutral. Like you can go and use it for ill and there's plenty of people who have done it. And so stuff like community agreements can be, quite used in a toxic way but I, like if you go and listen to some of the communities which people really love they're the communities which have a high expectation of you you know yes. like crossfit you know you have to like i turn up there and they expect me to be there i was listening to a podcast with casper to kyle will be on this podcast soon uh and he was saying i think there's a fitness group called the November Project, which if you don't turn up, there's some sort of uh, picture of you or some sort of sort of email which goes round saying you weren't here. And uh, that is obviously there's that's complicated, but like lots of people actually really, you know, people join those communities because they actually want that sort of sense of, uh, you know, accountability, you know, there's like, I want to, the values of this community align with my own, send a picture of me looking dumb around if I don't do the thing that I'm meant to do, you know? Uh, yeah, that stuff really scares people. And I get it because so many religious communities are just abusive in how they force people to conform and they use these social connecting forces to make people do things that are really unhealthy for them but that doesn't mean every community that involves any sort of social pressure is abusive and we need to make the distinction and recognize that things like crossfit which does have its problems i was a member of a crossfit boxer a long time before it closed down that there is something about the depth of connection you can make to with people when you really commit to something together and it's important that secular society not give up on that and yeah, so there was, I spoke to someone who ran a, he ran a church and he put it this way. He said that uh, one of the, uh, he, so it was a service and it was for younger people, but he said that lots of people want community, but they don't necessarily want to give community. And I think that's where things like community agreements come in because like if you want to go and have a community like we're living in this world where there's so much uncertainty where you know we want like something we can rely on and 
you know, we've got this part of us which really wants to feel connected, but like in order to have that level of connection, someone needs to rely on you. Because like, if let's just go to something like a small group, if, if people don't turn up to that small group and someone had something to share and someone was, and they were holding it together, you've let those people down. And so I think there is, and I guess for people who, uh, like the Lifefulness Project is all about helping people go and uh, connect with communities and find communities like this, but there's probably not an ethical society in your town or a, uh, or a Sunday assembly. Uh, but that is something that you can go and find by looking at different communities and really asking yourself, actually, where can I go and find these relationships? Like things like book clubs, I think have got a huge amount of them. Things like choirs, people go and find that sense of community in those organizations. And oh, by the way, if you miss a choir rehearsal before the prep, before the uh, event, you're not getting on stage. Uh, and uh, yeah, so things like choirs, things like CrossFit, these are all places that you can go and find that community and really go and ask yourself, you know, like, is this community helping me live my ultimate value? And I think that's the my ultimate meaning. I think that's the thing that you really want to have is to find one which represents what you want to have uh, in your life. Uh, so that is, I think, the uh, community life, uh, community life podcast there. Uh, we this is the third in of six. So we really hoped you enjoyed the first three. Uh, and yeah, please go and uh, check out lifefulness.io uh, and the Lifefulness Facebook group for any more. So any any final things on community, James? All I would say is listen out. In a little bit, we'll be releasing our discussion with Lennon Flowers of the dinner party. We dig deep into the meaning of community and how commitment is really important to making deep relationships. So if you enjoyed this conversation, you'll definitely enjoy that episode coming up. So that was our episode on the third pillar of community life, which is, no, the third pillar of lifefulness, which is community life. And I really hope that you were able to find something in there for you. James has done so much research on this uh, that uh, there must be some little nug that you've taken away. And now, again, this is, like it's worth saying, like this way of looking at community isn't, you know, you can go and get loads of different types of community. This is sort of for building a very specific one, which is, you know, like really intentional. That's a, I think that's the sort of word which lots of people use in the world that I'm in, but like no one uses really in the general public. Intentional. Yeah, hey-ho. Yeah, where it's like higher commitment, where it is about your fundamental values, where it would make sense to sing a song with people, but also have children there. So it is something which is, you know, goes and creates these things which look like spiritual communities, which go and have this holistic uh, view of life and what it means to be together. Community is vital to 
lifefulness and that's why we are also creating our uh, lifefulness community which we would love you to go and take part in uh, what happens in the lifefulness community is if you go to lifefulness.io forward slash membership you can apply to be one of the founding members and uh, we're starting off small and then we want to grow from there this is a paying community as well because we really want to make sure this is sustainable make sure the podcast is sustainable uh, just so you know that and what's going to happen is there's going to be small groups on twice a month and well, like if you've listened to loads of podcasts you'll already know that go and check it out online at lifefulness.io forward slash membership what I'm also doing with these outros is sort of doing a countdown uh, leading up to the launch of the podcast because we also want to bring you into the journey uh, of the lifefulness project because we want you to be part of it and so we've got to the podcast launched on September the 10th and now we're going we're now five weeks before launch and it is the week beginning the 10th of the 8th and this was when the the, like I got to a low point on my cycle uh maybe I'm sort of like on some really sort of strange male sort of menopause not menopausal what I don't know what the male word for a period would be a male maybe I've just got a, a very strange uh, andro cycle who knows but so we're getting ready to go on holiday and sort of I, often what happens is when things go really well I start to sort of operate on too many fronts and then things will go missing then I can sort of start to feel a bit guilty about it that's always a tough moment then I start to feel just overwhelming sense of shame it I don't know it's really if you've had this through your life and I think with ADHD you lots of people get this you know lots of people get it with lots of things if you get diagnosed late in life with autism or dyslexia or something often these behaviors which sort of you find it hard to get over you just build up this sort of deep well of remorse and regret and spite and bile and frankly quite a lot of negativity and that does not help things yeah it's like it's a sort of paralysis uh, which just makes matters worse as I go and look at my life one of the things like these sort of times I mean at school they'd happen for whole terms at university uh, much the same I would go and get into these really long periods where I was sort of a very low functioning but then gradually as I've got to know myself better and I've got to know it better I like the periods have become shorter and shorter and I've got a few more tools to get out of them but they do happen and 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 then it also led to something with the life on this project but part of being on this community accelerator actually also part of the work that I've done for a while is really thinking of like right how do you grow this how do you go and get funding and then oh uh, you know be the headspace of lifefulness all of that stuff but I did have this realization that what I really want to do is go and make the lifefulness project you know with me work with one person because I often have thought of growth of something external happening sort of as an answer to the things which I struggle with and yeah so that was something which happened sort of yeah in mid-August of like going actually how can I make this really this community thrive this podcast thrive how can I go and 
you know, take lifefulness into the workplace and help lifefulness practitioners who'd like to learn and go and bring people together who would want to have a community. How can I do that? But in a way which uh, doesn't involve like some outside uh, deus ex machina, kind of pretty hard to say on with a dry throat. So anyway, that's where uh, that's where I was in this. And uh don't worry, and it gets better. It gets better. So now, wrapping up, uh, if you would like to share this podcast, well, we would like you very much to do that. You can share. You can also subscribe. Uh, we are found on uh, Instagram, Facebook, at The Lifefulness Project. On Twitter, we're Lifefulness PRJT, Lifefulness Purged. I'm at Sanderson Jones. James Carfroft is at Croft Speaks. Then, uh, want to say thanks to him big up james you're wonderful mavs shetty is our amazing producer william andrews made the brilliant artwork and roman rapak and miro shot created the music that you're hearing right now i mean probably maybe maybe we've got a different bed to this but almost certainly they made the music that you're listening to right now 